BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy last year by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. AirPods Pro with adaptive audio. Automatically keeps out the sounds you don't want to hear so you can listen to your music. And lowers your music to let in the sounds you do need to hear. Hi there. Hi, what can I get you? I'll have a strawberry mango coconut probiotic smoothie with wheatgrass. Anything else? Extra wheatgrass. Here you go. AirPods Pro with adaptive audio. Available on AirPods Pro second generation when enabled. Hey, Sarah, I love that spring break vlog you posted on Zigazoo. OMG, you watched it? Yeah, it was so cool. I think you're so talented. Social media is only positive with Zigazoo, the world's largest and safest social media network for kids. In Zigazoo, all community members are verified kids like yours, and all content is fully human-moderated. Try out Zigazoo this spring break. Download the Zigazoo app today. Brought to you by the reinvented 2012 Camry. It's ready. Are you? Welcome to Stuff Mom Never Told You from HowStuffWorks.com. Hey, and welcome to the podcast. This is Molly. And I'm Kristen. Kristen, as you know, we spent International Women's Day together. Yes. We went to the movie theater. Yep. Saw A Powerful Noise, which is a really moving documentary about women in the developing world and how they have overcome just tremendous obstacles in their own community and become these inspirations both in the community and worldwide. One story that particularly moved me was the story of Han, who's an HIV-positive widow. Her daughter and her husband died from AIDS. And rather than just give in to the stigma and discrimination of that disease in her community, she formed a support group called Immortal Flower, which gave people living with HIV-AIDS a place for support. She went out into the communities and did all this uh, prevention awareness, gave out condoms, and really just did a lot to dispel myths around the disease. And the movie also focused on a woman who was making an agricultural co-op for other women and one woman who worked on just getting girls into school. So the whole movie was about how empowering women really can make a difference in the developing world. Yeah, and this uh, documentary was produced by a nonprofit headquartered here in Atlanta called CARE, which um, began its mission uh, by sending care packages to soldiers overseas and really wanting to um, tackle the issue of worldwide hunger. And that has kind of evolved over the years to focus more on the issue of global poverty. And most recently, CARE has really focused its efforts on women in developing countries and the important role that they play in alleviating poverty and all of the ripple effects from that. So Molly and I thought that with the holidays coming up and you know, just the pro-women topics that we talk about every week here on Mom Stuff. What better tie-in than CARE? And they're here in our hometown. So we decided to go and talk to someone at CARE about the work that they're doing and also the crucial role of women in the developing world. 
Right. So we talked to Malia Hahn, who's the director for program impact at Care USA. And we're going to hear from her right now on a little bit about what Care does and its mission. Care does a very wide variety of, of, of work. Um, if, in fact, if there's anything that's Care's trademark, it is that we work in almost all the sectors. Mm-hmm. Um, so we do everything from agriculture, um, increasing productivity, providing, you know, better inputs to farmers to governance, um, getting people more involved in local budget making and politics, um, to health, education, and, and all of that. So for a very, for a long time, CARE was known as the NGO that did a vo- very wide variety of work. Mm-hmm. Um, lately, the focus of that work has started to become, um, through our years of experience in the field, that we need to focus on women okay. um, and the work that women do and the position that women have in society in order to really be effective in, in addressing poverty. Now, the role of women in alleviating poverty has been in the news quite a bit in the past year, in 2009, probably most notably with the release of a book called Half the Sky by Nicholas Kristof and Cheryl Wu Dunn. Uh, you might know Kristof as a columnist for the New York Times, and there's actually a really great excerpt of this book um, on the New York Times website, it's called The Women's Crusade. It's dated August 23rd, 2009. And it just goes into how, if we ever want to end poverty, women are the key to doing that. That by empowering women in their communities and by ending the human rights violations that are um, against them, mm-hmm. then we can make a real impact on poverty. And that's an idea that is shared by CARE. And we're going to hear a little bit right now about how CARE came to realize that women were central to alleviating poverty. Several years ago, CARE started a, a sort of internal process of um, analysis, which we, we said that what we have to do is, is, is really identify in each context the underlying cause of poverty, like what's actually causing it rather than the symptoms of it that, you know, poverty results in in this level of income or this level of access to health care. But rather than going to that, which we consider to be symptoms of poverty, we said that there has to be reasons why poverty exists in particular contexts. And, and in starting to do that analysis around the world, we came up with a few common um, causes mm-hmm. and the two most common causes, and it didn't matter whether you were talking about Benin or Malawi or Bangladesh, the two most common causes were um, a, a low status that women had in society and poor governance. You know, just governance structures, accountability of of people in public offices, etc. When when we identify those two, we said we have to go about and and really try to understand what has CARE's impact been in those areas. So um, for the law, and we chose women's empowerment first, mm-hmm. um, and said we would, we would address governance after that. And we we did a study that it, that that was in 26 countries, involved four five hundred of our own staff, and took place over four years, in which we said, let us look at how care has actually been impacted or changing the lives of women. Because if if that is one of our underlying causes, then that should be something that CARE is really addressing. And we, and we looked at that and discovered that in some of our projects, we really were. In about 15% of our projects, we really were sustainably, for the long term, changing women's lives. But we also discovered that in a lot of our projects, we were doing well. Mm-hmm. We were addressing... Whatever it is that we, we said we would, we were increasing enrollment rates in schools. We were 
you know, providing better health care. We were, say, creating more awareness around HIV AIDS or whatever it was that we were doing. But we weren't really changing the social positions of women. Women's lives and how people viewed them weren't changing. And so we really went, sat down and said, why? And how can we do it better? And that's when... um a couple of years ago, CARE came up with its own, what we call, theory of change. How will we create social change um, in the lives of the people we want to work with? And we came to the conclusion that changing the lives of women, the way they're viewed in society, the way they view themselves, and the opportunities they have, is key to actually ad- addressing poverty. Now, as you can imagine, though, going in and really trying to reach out to these women um, isn't as simple as just care walking in and setting up a program, holding some meetings, throwing some funding dollars their way. These are some real deep cultural issues that they are having to tackle. And I mean, some of the issues, just to give you an idea, um, we've got rampant sex trafficking, child marriages, rape as a means of control, and infant and maternal mortality. And just to give you an idea of um, some of the statistics, um, and this is from The Nicholas Kristof, New York Times Magazine um, article that Molly referenced a few minutes ago. Um, He says, in India, a bride burning takes place approximately once every two hours to punish a woman for inadequate dowry or to eliminate her so a man can remarry. Um, In many countries, uh, if a man isn't able to pay a dowry, he will rape a girl and therefore devalue her in her community's eyes so that her family essentially has to give her away to this man because she's not going to be marriageable anymore after she's been raped. Um, another study has found that 39,000 baby girls died annually in China because parents didn't give them the same medical care and attention that boys received. Um, and about 107 million females are missing from the globe today. Right. And you know, the, the statistics that really struck me, Kristen, both when I read this book and in this article, is that in a country in West Africa, Niger, a woman has a one in seven chance of dying in childbirth. Maternal mortality is huge in some of these countries, whereas in the United States, you have a one in 4,800 chance. In Ireland, one in 47,600. So one in seven in Niger. Mm-hmm. It's insane. And um, talking about the issues that are facing girls, not just women, but, you know, very young girls, um, about a hundred thousand girls have been, are annually kidnapped and trafficked into brothels and held there against their will. And at one point, um, as we'll talk about, um, I think in the next episode, in a little more detail, um, Nicholas Kristoff actually went into these brothels to talk to these women, um, and actually tried to, to rescue a couple of them, which is, which proved a lot more challenging than you might think it would have been. Right. Now, all of these issues from sex trafficking to child marriage to bride burning, these are all things that could make entire Stuff Mom Never Told You episodes, and they might very well in the future. But we don't want to dwell on them too much in this episode except to show that these are the problems that uh, organizations like CARE are trying to deal with. And what they all have in common according to all these scholars, is that the whole reason this happens is because women are second-class citizens in other countries. Right, and it all links back as well to a cycle of poverty globally. Uh, the statistics show that 
disproportionately more girls are kept out of school than boys. And then, you know, once they are basically betrothed into a marriage, um, they're still held as second class citizens. And the cycle just continues because they don't have control of their money. And the husbands are less likely to uh, set aside money for their children's education than the wives are. And, and it's just going to continue for generations. And it's, you know, it's something as simple as that if you have two children and both of them get sick, these parents, even the mothers, are more likely to spend the money on medication for the boy mm-hmm. as opposed to the girl. And so the argument that's made over and over again by um, people like Nicholas Kristof are that women just aren't valued the way they are here and that that has to change. Now, that is a pretty massive change, which is what um, Malia Hahn spoke about in the clip we're going to hear about right now. Addressing social justice in general, no matter what, you know, the the reason for people being marginalized. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, you've got a long history in the United States. Um, if you look at race relations in which you, you and then look at how long it took to do that. Um, so definitely it, it's, it's much easier said than done. Um, but one of the things that we we also realize, Karen, it's, you know, many, many years of work. Um, in the different contexts, so out, out what we, you know, what people call the field or the countries where we want to have the change in, um, it, there was a realization that you have, you can't just address one part of a woman's life. You've got to address multiple parts of a woman's life if you really want to have long-term change. So now Kristen talked, um, a little bit before that clip about how education can be central to really changing this perspective in a community. And as Malia Han will, will tell us in future clips and in these ones that she started to hint at, you've got to change everyone in the community's viewpoint on women. You've got to change sort of the very essence of what a community believes about how women should be valued. And um, to my mind, after reading the book and doing some research, it really comes down to making sure that girls can get an education when they're young because if they stay in school, then they're more likely, I mean, then they're less likely to get married at the age of, you know, 11 or 12. Mm-hmm. That means they're not going to start having babies at the age of 12 or 13. And it really just, you know, has an, a tremendous impact on their life from a very young age if they get that education. Um, when Larry Summers, who was the chief economist of the World Bank, when he was holding that position, he wrote, investment in girls education may well be the highest return investment available in the developing world. So if you invest in those schools that try and keep girls and boys in school longer, then you're really making a change in that community. Yeah. And uh, in terms of tackling this issue of global poverty, um, Christoph points out in his article, he says that in many poor countries, the greatest unexploited resource is in oil fields or veins of gold. It's the women and girls who aren't educated and never become a major presence in the formal economy because they are never given those opportunities. And he also points out um, in Half the Sky uh, that it's not just when we talk about, you know, women being considered uh, second class citizens in a lot of these areas. It's it's not just the men who are are holding the women back. It's also the women themselves. Um, it's the women who are, you know, feeding their sons before their daughters. It's the mothers who are taking their girls to be circumcised. It's, you know, it, and so I think it's important to um, to realize that it's the entire community, not just not just men, you know, who need to be reeducated as well. So how do you re-educate a community? I think that for a long time, people in this country have thought, you know, I'll make a donation. Um, that money may go to, let's say, a woman who's trying to start her own business. Um, she will then 
you know, get some training. She'll turn all that money around and, um, it'll be great. She'll be one of those examples of the women who can be in that movie. But what I like about care, and I think that's one of the reasons we have chosen to highlight them is that they know that it's not right and it's not fair to just hand a woman money and expect her to change her entire community. Right. And that is what, um, Ms. Han will talk about in this next clip. One thing I want to emphasize is that our approach is not the bootstrap approach. Right. It, it's kind of like saying to the woman, the poor, illiterate, indigenous woman in the Andean region or the, you know, again, the illiterate mother of six in a, a small landless, you know, uh, laborers in a village in Bangladesh. Lift yourself up by your bootstraps and here's some, you know, here's here's some training and you can do it. Like, mm-hmm. She can't do it. <laughs> I mean, she can do things, but there's so much arrayed against that woman um, that, you know, expecting her to, on top of her workload in the house, workload in the field, everything else that she has to contend with, we expect her to take responsibility um, for her own change of circumstances is, is, is really, a, you know, it's, it's unrealistic and it's, it's not fair either. Now, it's very easy after hearing clips like that and reading a book like Half the Sky to be like, yes, women, stick them into every development project you have. Things will automatically get better. And that is that's just not what happens. It's got to be this is why it's got to be such a community effort, because, Kristen, you have an example of what happens when you just put a woman in a project without trying to do anything about changing the uh, mindset of that community. Right, because they can actually have um, unintended results that will um, end up harming the women um, at the end of the project, which of course is the opposite of what, um, these nonprofits and NGOs want. And, um, this example from Half the Sky, uh, talks about a UN project in Nigeria to bring in, um, strains of a widely eaten root called cassava. And basically the UN workers thought that if they brought, uh, brought these healthy strains of cassava in, then the, um, the women could plant them and harvest them and they'd be able to sell it and to make, um, more money. And so they did that and these women began, um, raising the cassava and they actually, the cassava took off the crop, harvested, you know, a pretty large yield and they were able to make a lot of money which was fantastic. These women all of a sudden had money on their, uh, in their pockets, but that didn't make the men very happy. And so basically the men then came in, kicked the women out of the cassava fields, um, and the men took over that cash crop. And as a result, they used the profits for beer. And mm-hmm. the women ended up having even less income than before that UN project started. And so, you know, I think it's a great example of a really good idea with unintentionally bad results because you aren't addressing all of the issues going on in the community that are keeping these women and these communities in poverty. Incorporating our learnings around women's empowerment and what it takes to, for instance, to really put in women's empowerment into an agricultural project, not just incorporate women so that you have a better project. That's what I call the instrumental approach. You're using women so that you recognize that women are, you know, 70% of the world's farmers. They provide 90% of the agricultural labor in the world. So how are you going to have a successful agricultural project without talking to women? You're not. So you talk to women, you get them involved, and you use women to have higher yields. That's one way of doing it, right? What CARE says is you can actually involve women and have higher yields and actually make the women's lives worse. 
you can put higher demand, labor demands on them. You can switch from crops that are traditionally women's to crops that are traditionally commercial, which means that women are providing the labor but then don't have control over the crops. The crops get sold by the men, and then what do you do? But as far as agriculture is concerned, that'll actually be a good outcome because your productivity's gone up, your income's gone up, Yeah, and so you can check it off and say, "Hey, that was a great project." Mm-hmm. Um, but 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 what Kerr says, we have to be very careful about that. And there's but then there's ways of doing, for instance, improving agricultural productivity while empowering women. And it may be a longer, more complicated process, but that is what we've got to do. Um, so I think the main thrust of what we are going to be doing over the next few years is making sure that in all the different types of work we do, whether it is a water project or it's education. or its maternal health that we're really and truly empowering women so that we have longer lasting results. The but we do have we have identified three areas where we feel that care through its years of experience has a particular model to offer. So obviously care has an incredibly huge goal to meet. Mm-hmm. It probably seems insurmountable at times. I mean, when I, you know, just listening to Malia talking about all these issues, I think it's amazing that they have made as much progress as they have right now because um it is not so simple to just go in as a nonprofit to these foreign cultures, foreign societies and try to enact lasting change. So how do they do it and what are the challenges that care faces once they get into societies like this? Well, you're going to have to tune in next time. That's right. We're going to do a two-parter on care and women's issues. So in the next episode, just to give you a little hint, as Kristen said, we're going to talk about how care can go into communities and actually change them from the bottom up and how that will possibly help women all around the world. Yeah. But in the meantime, if you do want to uh learn more about cares programs and what the organization does you can head to their website it's care.org c a r e . o r g and as always if you want to email me and Molly with your thoughts feelings opinions please feel free to send us an email our email is momstuff@howstuffworks.com and as always you can check out our blog it's called how to stuff and that and many other articles about poverty and nonprofits and all that good stuff is on howstuffworks.com For more on this and thousands of other topics visit howstuffworks.com Want more howstuffworks? Check out our blogs on the howstuffworks.com homepage. Brought to you by the reinvented 2012 Camry. It's ready. Are you Does money stress you out? Let Facet flip your financial chaos into clarity. Finding Facet immediately put us at ease. Facet's innovative approach to financial planning ensures your money works as hard as you do, enabling members to experience the joys of having your finances in order. And that makes us Facet for life now, I guess. <laughs> Visit facet.com, f a c e t.com to learn more. This ad is sponsored by Facet. Facet Wealth is an SEC registered investment advisor. This is not an offer to buy or sell securities nor is it investment legal or tax advice. These testimonials are from current Facet members who are not compensated. All opinions are their own and not a guarantee of a similar outcome. Hey Sarah, I loved that spring break vlog you posted on Zigazoo. OMG, you watched it? Yeah, it was so cool. I think you're so talented. Social media is only positive with Zigazoo, the world's largest and safest social media network for kids. In Zigazoo, all community members are verified kids just like yours, and all content is fully human moderated. Try out Zigazoo this spring break. 
Download the Zigazoo app today. Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury. The premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Live March 20th from the edge at Hudson Yards in New York City. Featuring a performance by John Batiste. The all-new 2025 Infiniti QX80 is an SUV designed to help every passenger feel just right. Be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. Don't miss it. 2025 QX80 coming this summer.